Before we get into today's show, I just wanted to let you know about our new podcast that I'm so excited about called Mindbenders. It's a podcast about stories of synchronicity that can bend minds. You can find Mindbenders podcast at Spotify, Apple podcast, and mindbenderspodcast.com. Submit your mind-bending story today by emailing us at mindbenders at path11productions.com or by calling us. Leave your story on our voicemail. It's okay if it's a long one. We'll call you back. 1-323-713-1113. Again, that's 1-323-713-1113. Also, the 2020 Virtual Afterlife Awareness Conference has ended, but the replays are still available at path11productions.com slash ac2020. For $129, you can watch just over 17 hours of streamed videos from professionals including Robert Moss, Austin Wells, Edie Nathan, Brian Smith, and Daniel 4 PhD, just to name a few of the presenters. Visit path11productions.com slash AC2020 to see the complete list. Topics include dealing with grief, working with death doulas, psychic children, and suicide. These videos won't last forever, but they can be watched anytime at your convenience until September 30th, 2020. Visit path11productions.com slash AC2020 for all the information. And if you haven't seen our documentaries yet, the Path Series Trilogy, you can watch all three for free at Gaia.com. Just sign up for their one-week free trial. You can cancel at any time and watch The Path Afterlife, The Path Beyond the Physical, and The Path Evolution. Oh, and before we get into our show, I wanted to remind you to use your 25% off discount code PATH2PORTAL, all caps, PATH, the number two portal, path to portal at reconnection.com for trainings by Dr. Eric Pearl. They absolutely loved being on our show and they wanted to give back to our listeners. So you guys are lucky and are getting 25% off if you go to their website, reconnection.com. All of these links are listed in the show notes for today's episode. So enough of all these announcements, let's get to our show for today. And thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm really excited to introduce you to our guest today. I actually met him through the Afterlife Awareness Conference that was held this year, 2020. We were supposed to be in Chicago, but given the pandemic, we had to move the entire conference online. And if you wanted to see uh, our guest today, Chris Batts, if you wanted to see his presentation, we are still selling the Afterlife Awareness Conference at our website, path11productions.com slash AC2020. And that footage is going to be up in until September 30th. Chris's presentations was actually one of my favorite that I watched during the Afterlife Awareness uh, presentation because it was unlike any story that I had ever heard. Um, Our guest today has had an extraordinary life, uh, some hardships, some trauma, some deep trauma, and as he was trying to navigate his way through that, he made a suicide attempt, was successful, had a near-death experience, and then came back to live to tell about it. Chris is on a mission to really help people who are feeling suicidal. He wrote a book that we're going to talk about, and we'll let you know a little bit more about that. But really, his message is about suicide prevention and having gone through this experience 
it's an, an amazing experience to hear about. Um, it is his goal and his hope that he will be able to help save a life someday so that people do not make that decision to commit suicide. So Chris, welcome to the Path 11 podcast. It's nice to see you again. Nice to see you again, too. Yeah. Um, so why don't we just kind of dive right in and let our audience know about your story? You know, since you were a young boy, you had a really tumultuous upbringing, a lot of trauma, discord with your mom, multiple foster homes thrown in a dumpster when you were younger. Um, and, you know, I think one of the, th- the reasons why I really enjoyed your story is just because you're just like a true person that is living life and has just gone through some really tough stuff and uh, amazing stuff to recover from, to be resilient from. And now you are like spreading the word and have this awesome mission and message. So uh, I'm so glad that I found you through the Afterlife Awareness Conference. But yeah, so let's get started. Why don't you uh, begin your story and let our listeners know uh, what happened in your life? Okay, so I have the air on because it's like really hot. So just wondering if you can hear it. Nope. Nope. Okay, so we're good. I've got mine on too. It's a, it's a, oh. it's a heat wave right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I live in the desert, so it sucks. Yeah. So, okay. So my story, what ended up happening, it started at six months when I was six months old, actually, my mom was on her way to a modeling career before she got pregnant and she did not really want to have a kid. It just sort of happened. And I guess she, up until I was six months, she was doing fine. And she just came to the decision. I'd rather not raise a kid. So she threw me in a local neighborhood dumpster and there was one of the neighbors that just so happened to find me there. I guess the lady happened to be taking out her trash and she heard a six month old baby crying, you know? So then she keeps digging through the trash. Luckily I wasn't asleep or something. So she's just digging through the trash. She hears me and she says, oh my God, I know his mom. So she took me my gr- and then she couldn't get a hold of my mom. So she calls my grandma who was at church. My grandma stopped everything she was doing and came home to get me. And so then my grandma tried to, my grandmama actually did take my mom to court uh, months later, I guess, and because she hasn't heard from my mom for a long time since she threw me in the dumpster. So when she finally got a hold of her, she took her to court, judge told her she could never have me again. And, you know, so my grandma had custody. So when I was four, my grandma actually had a nervous breakdown and she was in the hospital for a year. So after that, I ended up moving to a couple other places and then I finally found a home with my mom's sister who she hated more than anybody. And um, this this sister had a husband, they had kids from different marriages and then they had their own kid together. So really the other kids were older than me. I was the youngest one in the house so I always had like this big chip on my shoulder and um, was always just getting in trouble and always having to like defend myself because for some reason I never backed down when I was, when someone was trying to pick on me. So four years old, I remember coming to a conscious decision that I'm gonna raise myself because there's nobody in this house that I wanna be like. So I'm just gonna raise myself and um, I'm gonna grow up today. So from then on, I start trying to learn about life and just observing everyone, everything they do. I started trying to be my own person. And um, 
like I said, I always had a protective heart, so I always felt like I had to protect myself. So at home, I'm fighting them. At school, I'm getting in fights with older kids that are years older than me, and that's just how it was. Um, so this house, I was abused every day, um, physically, emotionally, mentally, everything. Uh, went without certain clothes when it was cold, so I didn't really have jackets and all that stuff because they said I didn't deserve it, and I didn't you know, deserve my nice clothes are really warm clothes when it's cold and um so my mom seen me a few times when i was a little kid but i don't it's only because she owed money to her sister and she would just give it to her and that was it so i didn't really see her or have really deep deep conversations with her all she told me though was that she didn't want me when i was born and she still doesn't so i carried this for years and years and it turned into depression till so i was eight years old tried to i actually did take a knife go in the bathroom slice my wrist and came out and basically put a long sleeve shirt on when I wasn't dead and I was very disappointed so I didn't try suicide again I actually tried to become a stronger person because I'm raising myself you know so I'm like well let me just try to be a strong person now. so depression still hit until high school high school depression went away and I was like real popular so I didn't really worry about that at all so my friends were my family um my release was going this was after i'm sorry this is after multiple homes that i've been to so um so yeah. you left your aunts right so that yeah. whole thing wasn't going well there was abuse no and you no. ended up leaving into into another foster home um into i went to move with her sister for one year okay and her sister she had got some type of checks for me like uh through like social deposit, security type yeah. checks or something yeah yeah mm -hmm. so she had those checks but she would never spend them on me it was only on herself just like the other home i was in they spent it on they spent that money on their kid and everything so you know i was like well i didn't even know i was getting this until my grandma told me when i was 10 she said like, you need to know this they get money for you every month they need to be giving you clothes and stuff well, they don't you know so um i moved into another house when they the reason i left this first house was because they were going through my lyrics i mean going through my stuff in my room and i happened to be writing lyrics at the age of nine so i was about maybe 13 then when they found they were going through my stuff one weekend i was visiting my grandma and they found my rap lyrics i was writing about them with the uh dried up teardrop on the paper and um they called my grandma and said, you know, he never asked to come back. So they just came and dropped off all my stuff at my grandma. From there, I went to her other sister for, for a year. Her sister, it was the same thing. So after then, I moved in with my other aunt, my um, my grandma's sister. And um, in my book, I actually speak of Aunt Sarah, and this is her. Um, very manipulative. She didn't like me as it was. Um, really, she didn't really cook for me. and buy me stuff i usually just did my own thing and sometimes she would get mad i would sleep outside when you know she would say stuff and i guess like it's not a child's place to tell an adult when they're lying even though they are so especially when it's about you so i end up having to leave her house a few times actually so i stayed like sleeping outside at the the train station and um a, a lot of times and she would take her key and everything like that so I just basically stayed there until I was about like 17 or 18. And then that's when I moved out and um, got my own place. And um, so from then, I kind of had thoughts 
as, as I was seeing my friends from high school progress in life, I had noticed that I wasn't progressing as fast as they were because they were getting their houses, their apartments, and they had a support system to help them do this. Mm -hmm. So a lot of them didn't do this by themselves. They had their moms and dads to help them to tell them which job to get or to help them how to do their applications. You know, like I had to, how to do a resume. Like I had to figure all this stuff out by myself. Um, are they actually had jobs for them? So, hey, come work for me. There you go. I'll buy your car. I'll buy this, all that. I did not have that. So they were just progressing so much faster. And I was too much of a hard head to even tell them I was in it deep. Like I needed help. And I was scared to say anything about it. I was, I was feeling very suicidal at this point. And I did have a job and everything. I've always, I've always had jobs, but I've always had that main thing. Like I'm going slower than everybody else. I've always felt behind. Like I have to play catch up now, you know? And so that's where a lot of like I said, like when I was a kid, I had a lot of low self-esteem issues and everything from being told how ugly I was and fat I was. And, you know, you're never you're going to be like your mom. And I was hearing that from everywhere. So it stuck with me. So my self-esteem wasn't really so high. I just used to pretend like it was. And um, so I ended up about maybe in my early 20s, I just started getting suicidal again. So it was getting bad. And then my friends kept progressing and I still didn't have family or anybody to count on or I just, I don't know. And then the friends I had were not good friends. Like these friends were the fakest friends I ever had. I guess you could say they weren't really my friends, but I was their friends. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And so I basically was alone. I felt so alone. And so I just started planning a way on to commit suicide. So I just kept thinking of ways, I even written ways down, like one was to drown myself, one was to drive off of a cliff and just, you know, just go just off the freeway. One was to just get hit by, just stand in front of a car, get hit. I thought of many things and I finally, it's something about sleeping at that train station that hit me. And so I wanted to go to that train station and just end everything. So I was looking at the trains and I was looking at what times they came for months and I started timing it. So I got the right time of train I wanted to get. So one day I happened to be talking to, or should I say slightly arguing with a friend of mine at their house and we were just arguing about some silly stuff. And I, um, I just, I just stormed out of the house and I just remember walking down the street like miles away and then I just seen their car. I guess they had a feeling something was gonna happen. So I was dry, walking down the street and then they tell me to get in the car, get in the car. So I got in the car. Now I already had my suicide plan. So I was just gonna go in front of this other train when it came. So her telling me to get in the car just sort of messed up my plans. So I'm like, now I have to replan. Ironically, this very moment, out of all the years that passed by, I get a call from my mom out of all the people as you get into this car as i'm in the car wow hmm. at this very moment and um so i answer out talking to her and i'm wondering how she even got my number in the first place so i'm thinking well maybe this can change my mind maybe i can have something to look forward to but no she actually told me my grandma gave her my number and she said i wanted you to know to i wanted to tell you like myself to stop looking for me. I'm not your mom. I don't want you. I never wanted you. I never will. And then she said, so I'm not your mom. 
and that's when I said, well, F you, you never were. So I got my phone, I looked at it, and then I just tossed it out the window. I rolled down the window, tossed out the phone, and I, my friend made this right turn. That's all I remember. She made this right turn, and I looked at her, and as we were going down the street, I said, F this, and opened the door and jumped out of the car. And I just remember hitting the back of my head on the concrete, and it sounded like this muffled boom sound which it reminded me of when I was three and I fell on my head on a tricycle. It was like that same type of feeling. It, was, it felt familiar for some reason. So at this point, that's when I, that's when I started having my near-death experience. Um, so as soon as I was on the ground, I remember trying to get up. I need not knowing I'm out of my body. I felt fine. Or I wasn't out of my body yet. I was trying to get up. And as I was getting up, it was harder and harder. And it felt like something was tugging me and tugging me and I was fighting it. So, I, and something kept telling me I wouldn't do that if I were you. So I did it anyway, cause that's just how I am to find out things myself. Um, so as soon as I completely get up, I'm pushing hard, I'm pushing hard and I get up and then I'm looking at my body laying on the floor. And I'm like, wait, how is this happening when I'm standing right up right here? Like, this is, this is trippy, you know? So I'm just in this, so after that, like, I'm taking about three steps and then boom, I'm in this void. Um, I've seen all these different colors, black, blue, there were so many different colors and I just can't explain to you. It was like a galaxy type of void, I don't know. Um, but I knew I wasn't like in heaven or anything like that. It was just a void. And um, that's when I feel the supreme strong presence the most supreme presence I ever felt, which was God slash source. And I knew it was, um, me having issues with the, cause when I was a kid, we always went to church and all the abuse we, I got, I was wondering how can people really serve like a God that teaches them to be so abusive to your kids. Hmm. So I always have my own opinions about religion. And that's when I was like, Oh my God, like what's going on here? You're actual guy. I, I don't deserve to be here. Let me turn around. Let me go back. I'm not perfect. There's a lot of things that I've done. And, you know, I say curse words. I'm not eligible to go to heaven yet. Like, I need to go back and get perfect. Then I'll come back and talk to you. Like, how about that? You know? <laughs> and then, um, like, the telepathically, I did not see a, sh okay, I didn't see a shape. I didn't see a face or anything. It was just um, telepathically feeling with my heart and hearing with my head and ears. Like, actual tone of the voice when the source told me let me reintroduce myself to you i am god because i know him as god so he's saying like i am god yes i am real yes angels are real they're a gift for me want to meet them so i said no <laughs> i said didn't no believe. to god <laughs> no that's all i said i was like no <laughs> no thanks I <laughs> no i didn't believe in angels that's why i didn't mm. i had no idea angels were real mm -hmm. i was one of those that are like get out of here there's no such thing as an angel um yeah so um so after that i was seeing like this big like projection screen of people passing by i didn't have a life review um and i sort of get judged by this from some people from not having a life review but a lot of ndes are different I seen like this projection screen of like people passing by, like of a skater guy and then a 
girl was passing by like a prostitute type girl and then there was like this other guy like with skateboards and a guy with a briefcase all these people passing by and he's like i love everyone like the same so i'm like well if i'm i know i'm not in my body now so if i'm gonna go back to earth and tell people about you and i told them what happened what am i supposed to say so they don't think i'm crazy so he gets on i felt him get on a knee and I, I I don't like saying him because it's more like he has his most dominant, dominant, like male alpha male structure like type of attitude. But when he got down on a knee and gave me a hug, I felt like a kindergartner to like their idol or something like like a little child. He just gave me a hug, and it was the most more than womanly type of love you ever can imagine. Mm. And um, yeah, I didn't want that hook to actually end. And so when I felt that, I felt the arms and the hands just go from around me. And I'm like, oh, you're not there anymore, you know? And um, so I'm like, so now what do I do? So he says, I, he says, tell, er, go and tell everyone that I love them. And as he's introduced himself to me, I just see all these words written in the air, all capital letters. Um, one of the words were loving, one was caring, and then one said long suffering. This one had exclamation points at the end of it. And I guess his, his personality is explaining his character to me. Um, so after he says, go and tell everyone that I love them, boom, that's when I am in the air. I'm actually above clouds. and. I can literally see everything in in town that's around and I see a I look up and I see like this swarm of angels just like everywhere but there was these two in particular ones that I knew that were familiar and there was one on my right one on my left so as I looked to my left side I seen this one uh, about eight feet tall nine feet uh, wings were wide way wide I say about five six feet wide and sort of like a beetle type of thing i didn't get a chance to look at his face because it was so bright and there was so much light i had to like turn around this way because it was it was that much light just beaming and um but this one was really stern and he's like are you sure you want to go because you know the suicide and i'm like wait so i felt that sternness and i just thought of my life over and i'm going to burn in hell from the stuff that i was taught and so I look to my right-hand side, and that's when I see my this other angel, and he's really buff, really human. His wings are more wide, I mean tall than wide. It's different from the other one. This one was more human than anything. He had brown curly hair, roll, uh, um, red flannel shirt with the sleeves rolled up to the elbows, blue jeans and sandals. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, okay. It was like remind me of a construction worker, and I just remember looking at like the arms are like that and i'm like okay i'm going to the gym you know i get back <laughs> to earth yeah um real inspiration mm -hmm. um so after that oh they oh and they were both escorting me like one had a hold of my arm this way then the other one had a hold of my arm that way and they were just kind of calm me down because i was scared i didn't know what was going on they're like i'm thinking i'm burning hell like that's what i thought and they're like, well, no, no, it's okay. You're going to be okay. It's okay. Don't be scared. And after that feeling, I felt okay. Um, so as I'm with them, I'm looking at my body. Before I look at my body, they say, look down. So I look down and I see a body with 
someone on to the side and then I see paramedics. I didn't really in fire fire trucks. I didn't know what was going on. So then I look at them, they're like, look again. So I look again and that's when it zooms in like a camera. And that's when it was like really zoomed in. I could see perfectly paramedics over me, fire truck. I just seen lights everywhere. And then I look to the side and I see my friend that I was with way over to the side on their phone. And they said this really does happen and i'm like wow so this does happen well like dude, you're here for a reason you need to go back and love I'm like okay so they asked me they're like do you want to stay or do you want to go they left me they left it up to me they're like but you need to go we want you to go back and love things are going to be different you have so much to do oh and on the right hand side that angel said you have so much to do for so many people and I'm like, okay, so that's when they said, okay, so do you want to go back or do you want to stay with us? So for some reason, I felt this urge, like this urgency to go back. Like I knew it was the right thing I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So I looked at both of them and I'm like, I love you. I'm going back. And from then, I guess that's when I went into a coma. I'm not sure. Um, Cause I woke up a few days later in the hospital. Wow. <laughs> so really interesting how like that moment when you jumped out of the car, you were like, F this, you like had no interest in being there. And then all of a sudden this whole experience, it completely changes your life and you choose to come back. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, your story just has so many layers of uh, resilience. I mean, there's elements of neglect, there's abuse, there's the depression, uh, there's periods where the depression lifts. And then, you know, just how ironic the synchronicity where you had that plan for that train on that day, you're leaving to go do that, your friends stop you, get you in the car, and then mom calls. Out of all the people to hear from on that day, it was almost like the icing on the cake. And then with what she said was basically like, you know, don't even think about it. I'm not your mom. That's it. Um, I mean, what do you make of that whole synchronicity and the timing of that now that you've kind of had a chance to come out of the body and then come back and look at that? Do you think that was a part of the divine plan as well? It's too perfect to not be part of a big plan because how is it that because I know we're not robots. I know that we could do our make our own decisions. But how is it that it just lines up to where as soon as I leave their house, I'm going to this train. As soon as I'm leaving to this train, I'm almost there. I hear their car. I get in. And out of all the people my mom calls. Yeah. I mean, and I don't know how she got my number, which I have. And I haven't heard from her in what? I haven't seen, well, I haven't seen her in, I said about maybe 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden she calls me. Yeah, I mean, and out of all the moment, it's like, wow. Um, And I'm sure people are wondering, like, did your mom ever get arrested for throwing you in the dumpster? I mean, being a mental health therapist myself and a mandated child abuse reporter and, you know, that woman that found you, I know your grandmother brought her to court, but did she have any any charges brought up against her or jail or anything? I I don't know if she was, because I don't know if around that time child abuse was as as how can i say strict as it is now because i mean there were certain things you could do to a kid then and it can sort of go just unnoticed stay quiet about it and 
Right. But nowadays, if you do certain things to, or even say or, or something to certain things to a child, it's automatically child services are involved and everything like that. Back then, it wasn't like that. Even when I was growing up, it wasn't like that. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. And then what about your father, your biological father? Do you have any knowledge of him or have you had contact with him or who he is? I talked to him one time on Facebook, which luckily I met my half sister because of him. And she's seen him a few times, which is good for me because she's seen him more than anybody. I've never seen him. So like she tells me he comes and he will come and go maybe every five, 10 years. He'll pop up then pop back up. Okay. And are, yeah. are either of your biological parents aware that you're speaking out now about uh, the neglect, the abuse, the abandonment? Um, has your mom heard any of your podcasts or has anyone been curious, you know, about this book that you wrote about them? I'm just wondering. I don't know anything about my mom or dad. I don't know where they are. Even when my mom used to call me back then occasionally she hadn't called me much i don't i haven't seen her much i you know i don't really know much about her but yeah, yeah she would call from pay phones because she didn't want anybody to know where she was mm. and she always had this thing where if i call from someone's phone they'll probably track it and then find me mm-hmm. but her thing is she didn't want anybody to know where she's at including me especially me right yeah so and and just so interesting too it's almost like you know you have these players of your life that has created this this experience this tremendous story and then as that one angel said to you you've got a lot of work to do and you've got a lot of people to help and that's exactly what you're doing now so you also um you know wrote about your experience but you also authored a book and do you have your book with you can so you can show it to our audience Boom. Boom. I heard you say it before. You're like, and boom. Yeah. Okay. Boom. So what's the, what's the other title? The Life and Times of a Suicide Near-Death Experiencer. Yeah. So I know in the book, um, you also have quite a bit of material in there about angel communication. And I bet a lot of people listening to your story right now are probably curious because you weren't necessarily a person that believed in angels before this experience. Sounds like you were kind of even shocked to see them. And uh, so I'd love to hear more about how you've been communicating with angels. Do you still communicate with those two um, specifically? Or have you been introduced to a whole angelic realm and you're speaking to angels all the time now? Okay. Honestly, I have heard from them about a month or two after my incident, Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to go back to the hospital and go through the proper recovery and do all that stuff. I just wanted to self, you know, do it. I didn't like hospitals as it was. So I remember one day getting out. I'm still trying to make sense of what happened. And um, a couple months later, that's when I was getting out of the shower and I almost fell. I lost my balance because I still wasn't really, I didn't have my senses back yet. Um, I had major brain trauma, it was bad, hemorrhaged a lot. And um, I just know that my, like if I would try to talk, the back of my tongue would get stuck to my throat and it was bad. So I remember I almost lost my balance one day and that's when all I heard was, remember us, we're your guardian angels. And I knew, I knew what voice it was mm-hmm. and um, because it sounded familiar like when I had my incident and they said so the so one of them says empty your mind of everything you've ever known 
And then the other one says, we're going to teach you everything you need to know. And <laughs> Just start, empty start. your mind. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Of everything of everything you've ever known. Wow. Yeah. So that's literally what I did. So, the, so after that, they say the first thing we're going to teach you is about the is about your brain. Your mind controls everything. It's the control panel to your mind. That's why you can't really talk well or walk or do anything too well because your mind is really messed up right now. Mm-hmm. I'm like, huh? Is that why? Right. So after then, I was like, well, hey, tell me more. I want to know more. So after that, they even to this day, they still talk to me and tell me things. And like even with the chakras, they didn't really tell me about chakras. It was more I like to meditate and I've always have like to just walk around with my headphones and listen to music and just be in my zone. I've always been like that anyway. So as I'm doing that, um, they said, pay attention to your body. I'm like, okay. So like you have, you're filled with a lot of light. Everybody's filled with light and it, it goes out like, oh, cool. So they're like, yeah. So look at your, like, pay attention to your legs. Like you have a chakra, like not chakras, but they say your energy places. That's what they call them. Energy places. Energy. You have energy places on your body. So they're like, okay, mm-hmm. now you have an energy place on your head. Now there's an energy place by your heart. Don't you feel it? I'm like, that's crazy. That feels like my true inner being, like my true self. Like, exactly. It's familiar. You're finally getting it now. So, I mean, there, and so I start looking into the, to um, Google and start seeing about, these are called chakras. That's what they were talking about. Like, is that what they were saying? Energy places? Um, same thing with, like, before I even knew what an NDE was, I had no idea what a near-death experience was. But they were like, hey, go look on the internet and um, just start looking up people who died just like you. So I'm like on Google, okay, people who died and came back just like me. And that's when I find, I'm like, those are called a near-death experience. What? This is juicy. I need to create Facebook now. <laughs> then they're like, now you're going to do videos about it. Like, I'm not doing no videos. Yep, I have a lot of videos now. <laughs> <laughs> yep, here you are still saying, nope, nope, don't want to meet the angels. The oh. angels are telling you what to do. Nope, okay, I'll do it. Yeah. yeah. So it sounds like you've really have been getting downloads. You know, you're listening. The angels are speaking to you. They're educating you. They're leading you in directions you're trusting and you're listening. And it sounds like you're not even doubting the the, you know, the voice that you hear and when you're connected to them because they're familiar, you heard them before, you know who they are. I did doubt it for a while. Oh, and, did you? Um, oh, yeah, especially like when I first started figuring, I started getting my senses back and everything. I'm like, okay, I'm starting to get clarity now. What's really going on? I need some type of proof you guys are real. Like, because you know how I am. I need proof. Mm-hmm. They said, okay, let me remind you of when we told you to look down at your body. Anytime you ever doubt, think about that Hmm. so I'm like okay shut me up (laughs) right and um and so as you're kind of you know learning about this stuff are they still providing you more information and direction like on where you're supposed to be speaking you know the people that you're supposed to be reaching yeah yeah um stuff just comes just out of nowhere just comes and I know that it's the reason you know they it's probably a part of the plan i know they want me to speak out more about you know suicide and 
love. They really want me to love is the most important thing. And that's what they always told. That's what they always have told me. Because mm-hmm. everybody needs it. And a mind of a suicidal person, as I was, they need love. They need that love. That's why they want to get out of here because they feel like they don't have it. Yeah. And you were feeling such deep, tremendous uh, loneliness, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other, I remember when we had some people that were watching the live stream ask you questions and people really seemed to be in awe about how, you know, after you left the hospital, after that coma, you've really had no follow-up medical intervention. Um, and I was just wondering, like, do you think that the angels have been working on you or that you've had some sort of healing, um, in that realm to kind of get you to where you are right now to also like you know, maybe have minimal brain damage and, you know, you're walking, you're talking. It's nobody would really know. Yeah. Yeah. And also I get judged on this a lot too, by not having going back to the hospital and like, how do you know your NDE was real? Like that type thing, you know, you didn't go back to the doctor. My main thing was, I just knew I didn't want to go back to the doctor. Like even the doctors, they had sent me with home with papers and telling me phone numbers to call for it a CT scan or a CAT scan, whatever you call it, and all this different other stuff. And I just never went back to get checked up on. And out of all the brain injury, all the, all the brain damage I had, months and months later, one of the biggest scars I had was in my back of my head, which it turned into a scab, like a simple scab. And then I remember the day I picked it off and was like, what? And I looked in the back of my head and there was nothing there. You have no scar? No scar. No scar. Which I wonder how that happened. The most scars I have is my road rash, which, um, because I was on the ground and for a long time and it was hot on the floor, but most, that's mostly all I have is road rash to show there was only a scab and the, the most damage I had. Wow, that is crazy. And I know you said that there was a, a huge trauma. You lost a lot of blood from the head injury. Yeah, the nurses told me I hemorrhaged out of about three or four bags. Wow. Holy cow. So, yeah, right there is a miracle, too. Like, you don't even have, you know, something to to show for it. Wow, that is crazy. So so anything else about angel uh, communication before we kind of talk about some suicide prevention? Um, Is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners about uh, angelic communication? Well, I talk about it all the time on my YouTube, so they can pretty much go there. And yeah, there's too many topics. I'm always getting these downloads, and there's so many things. If I held it in, I'd probably be one of those crazy people on the freeway, hollering and screaming stuff because I got so much in my mind. So, <laughs> yeah, I just put it on video. Okay. And uh, how often are you posting on your YouTube channel? Is it a daily thing, or just when you kind of get these downloads? There you go. It's, I try to keep it. I try to keep it once a week, but that rarely works. I mean, sometimes I'll have them like once a month. Sometimes I have them every couple weeks. Sometimes I'll be on a roll to where I have it every single week for like a month or two, and then you won't hear from me again for a month. But it's really like when the downloads come. I have many, many topics I want to talk about, but I never write what I say. I just usually like to just fill it, then press record, and then that's it, and then start talking. Okay. Now, um, also, I read in your bio, too, I haven't shared this yet, but that you're also really interested in sign language and you help deaf people. Yes. So, um, so 
I know a yeah. little bit of sign language. Oh. I'll show it to you. I, I know okay. my name uh-huh. is, and then I know how to spell my name. And I don't remember boy. Is this boy? Or boy. Oh, boy. Okay. Boy. 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 Pretty, yeah. pretty boy. <laughs> That's what I remember. I remember. And I think happy. This might mean happy. Happy. Yeah. And uh, home, or is that, no, home? Yeah. Home, yeah, home. and more. Home. Yeah. More. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> One of my uh, best friends, uh, when I was younger in second grade, her brother was deaf. And so, you know, being so young and learning how to sign with him a little bit, I remember quite a few words, but I'd like to know a little bit more about, you know, did this, um, you know, passion of wanting to work with deaf people and learning sign language, did this also come after your near-death experience? And why it are did. you interested in it? Um, okay, so one of the members of the human resources department for the school district told me, I didn't know you do sign language. You took classes at the college. You should be a paratranslator. I'm like, well, no, I'm okay. I'm already a special ed instructional assistant because that's my main thing is special ed. That's the passion that I had. Mm-hmm. So she said, well, you should still, you could still do the special ed translator, like the special ed paratranslator. And that's when I got involved in that. And I'm like, do you know I'm a, like rusty right now? <laughs> do you, that was like a sub, like semester or two ago. I haven't even used it. Practice and go apply. So I applied and there you go. I had went to take the test, took like two tests that day and then I passed and that's how I got into that. But my main passion is just basically anything with special ed, as long as it's hearing kids or our deaf kids like whatever i just love special ed okay so you're doing that now you have that passion and then you also have your youtube channel and you have this message about your near-death experience that you're also trying to get that out there so you're doing a lot of stuff in life yes yeah (laughs) all right and so why don't we talk a little bit about a little bit more about love right because that's what they wanted you to come back they wanted you to love people to bring the message back to also bring the message back that god loves everyone no matter who they are what they are what they're doing and what kind of stuff are you doing in regards to suicide prevention so how are you trying to um, help people that might be having suicidal thoughts I speak out about it a lot. I go to conferences and speak. I do radio and podcasts. I like to speak out about it as much as I can. My videos, my YouTube channel is a very, very uplifting channel. And I don't want anybody to go on there and not feel good about something when they leave the channel. Mm -hmm. Like I want, I guess like to spread that love that I felt and still feel like I want to share it and like tell people like, Hey, like you're important too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And have you had any of your YouTube followers or anyone hear your story, read your book? And have you gotten the feedback that says, thank you so much. You know, if I didn't come across this, I might've taken my own life. Have you heard any success stories with you sharing your story? Plenty. There's been a lot of people that have message me oh my god it's such an honor you wrote me back to talk to me i'm like wait an honor like how's it an honor to hear from me i'm just chris you know like i didn't really think it was a big deal because they'll write me and then i'll answer their questions and they tell me a lot of they ask me a lot of advice like well i lost someone i love or even themselves oh i'm thinking about suicide um 
what do you um i'm starting to go over the end and then i saw your video and it helped me or thank you for and i'll be like oh can i ask what video you saw you know um they're just so i and it, it surprises me because i i would have never thought there was so many people out there that are really going through it right now mm-hmm. and like their people are really going through things and don't say anything about it so when they hear someone or see someone that's saying exactly what they're thinking and this person has been through it that can relate to them i guess it makes them feel so like understood and it kind of i feel might readjust their mind there's been personal friends i've had that have been have told me that i'm one of the most positive things in their lives because they would be surrounded by just strictly negativity and then they say you know i like having you around you're so positive teachers that i've worked with have told me like i I love your vibes i love how you are with the kids kids love you so hearing stuff like this it's it's always it makes me feel like i'm doing what i'm supposed to do and what i agree that i would go back and do that's wonderful that's wonderful so so no more suicidal thoughts for you is that safe to say Yes, because there are a lot. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not perfect. After my NDE, I had a couple like hardships and then I was like, I'm going to do it. But of course, you don't, you know, but um, yeah, there's no, Mm -hmm. it's a lot of, and that's before I really start speaking out about it. But as soon as I start speaking out more and more about it, I started being more appreciative of everything. So I don't really let much get me upset. Mm Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, Chris, thank you so much for sharing your story. I'd like you to share your um, your website, your YouTube channel, let people know where they can purchase your book, and let's try to send as many Path 11 people you know, to you. And hopefully they will also share your YouTube channel, your messages to anyone uh, you know, that is going through this. And hopefully um, you know, you'll, you'll save some more lives here. So where can people so, find you? Okay, so I'm still working on the website still getting used to this whole thing um i'll tell you i do have facebook which is um chris space and then nde so that's my facebook uh my youtube is no bad vibes space seven so n-o-b-a-d-v-i-b-e-s and then space then the number seven that's where i'm always posting videos um let me see um, you can go on Instagram. That's um, C underscore E underscore B seven. And that's pretty much all the websites I have right now. And if anybody else is just looking for anything on me, they can just Google me. Just Google Chris Bats. And you'll find me. Okay, great. And his last name is spelled B-A-T-T-S. Yeah. Um, and why the number seven? I'm just curious. I don't know. Ever since my NDE, I've always had a thing for the number seven. Hmm that became no bad vibes and the number seven those have always been my favorite things wow well interesting because um earlier today i interviewed uh another woman that wrote a book where did i put i already put on my bookshelf um but it was the seven lessons for the living from the dying and she also said uh you know in her book that showed that there were uh seven words uh, that were last spoken by Jesus before he died. So I'm like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> Might want to look that up. Huh. Yeah. 
There's the rabbit hole. Keep following it. <laughs> yeah. All right, Chris. Well, there's one link. Yeah. There's one link I forgot to leave. Yeah. A book, boom, life and time, suicide, near death experiencer. It's available on Amazon and Kindle. That's it. Okay, great. And if you okay. read it, review it, right? Because that's big for authors. If people can leave reviews, right. right? That helps. That helps a lot. I would appreciate that. Okay. All right. Well, Chris, we'd love to have you back on anytime. You know, you have something going on that we can help you to help others. I am so glad that you're here. I'm so happy you said yes to life and that you're continuing to say yes to life and just uh, keep up the excellent work. And thanks for being who you are. Thanks for asking me to come back. All right. Take care, Chris. All right. You too. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to this week's show. Before you go, I just wanted to remind you to listen to our new podcast, Mindbenders. Visit mindbenderspodcast.com to hear my dad's synchronistic story, I Hope It'll Bend Your Mind, about Jimi Hendrix. Then submit your story if you think it can bend our minds. Also be sure to check out the video replays of the 2020 Virtual Afterlife Conference. We have over 17 hours of amazing presenters exploring the survival of consciousness after death, working with hospice professionals, physicians, mediums, clergy, counselors, and alternative healers to offer a deeper understanding of death and beyond.